water's beautiful and the birds are working. We got a blue, it's gonna be over a thousand pounds, I'll guarantee you. Poof, here comes this monster out of the Gulf, you know. That's the meanest fight fish I think I've ever fought. It gets in your blood, it's like uh, deer hunting or turkey hunting, it's like you live for it. Golly, I, chances we need back in them days, we're lucky to be here. Thanks for tuning into the East Pass podcast. Today I'm sitting down and talking to Alex Fogg, who's the Coastal Resource Manager for Okaloosa County. He did his undergrad in marine sciences at the University of South Carolina and his master's at the University of Southern Mississippi in coastal sciences. He's worked as a fisheries biologist for the National Marine Fishery Service and for the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Alex has played a huge role in the Okaloosa County Artificial Reef Program, as well as helping to facilitate the first legal deployment of FADS in the the continental U.S. He's also the guy we call when we have a load of chicken cages that need to be inspected. Thanks for sitting down with me today, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, So before we dive in too deep do you mind talking a little bit about your background and how you got to be our our coastal resource manager yeah so you hit the the thirty thousand foot view but um (laughs) i I grew up as a navy brat so my dad was in the navy we bounced around a bunch of different coastal communities growing up so i was always around the water Um, as i got older i decided i wanted to go into a career that would keep me near the water Um, always going fishing with my dad uh, hearing stories about his diving and spearfishing i had to do it i had to find something to keep me near the water so chose a, a marine science program at the University of South Carolina. They gave me some money to go down there as long as I, uh, as long as I was good. Um, <laughs> that, that money lasted the whole time, which is a good, which is a good thing. Um, but when I was finishing up my undergrad at South Carolina, it was right as the BP oil spill was happening. So in the marine science world, jobs are kind of hard to come by, but because the oil spill, there were jobs popping up all over the Gulf Coast to look at impacts and help with cleanup, whatever it may be. So it was pretty easy to find a job right off the bat. That brought me to Mississippi, uh, spent a couple years doing BP oil spill sampling. So going out and, and literally trying to catch every fish under the sun to test for oil impacts. So that's really where I refined a lot of my, I guess, fishing abilities. I don't even know if you want to call them abilities, but where I, where I learned what a lot of the fish and critters are out there and how to catch them. Um, that those funds started to dry up a little bit and uh, uh, the folks at NOAA who I was working with at the time gave me the opportunity to develop my own project Um, and that's when invasive lionfish were kind of popping up on the scene and um, being a diver I I, uh, started reaching out to different groups all over the United States really the southeast and the Gulf of Mexico trying to get my hands on some lionfish or see if they were seeing lionfish. Uh, you know, a, a few lionfish here and there turned into thousands of lionfish from all sorts of different sources throughout the Gulf of Mexico. And that turned into my master's thesis. The good news is, is all the work that I did with lionfish can be applied pretty much to every other species because their biology is all generally the same, or at least on, on uh, how you process them, figuring out age, growth, reproduction, diet, parasitism, all that other stuff. Um, that then led me to Tallahassee where I, uh, managed artificial reefs for the panhandle. Um, a lot of the grant funds associated with BP dollars, um, and, uh, also did some lionfish work there. And then the position here in Okaloosa County actually popped up and I saw this as an oper- awesome opportunity to, to find myself in Destin and do things that are specific to the community that I'm living in, as opposed to, you know, helping communities that may be hundreds of miles away. Um, and that's where I've been for the last five and a half, six years now. And I absolutely love it. 
Oh, well, yeah. we've loved having you. You've done a yeah. whole lot of work here with the artificial yeah. reef program. Yeah, it's um, honestly, it's it's something that I love to do. You know, it's the whole if you love what you do, it's not a work, it's not a day of work in your life, whatever it may be. But to be honest, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the support of the community as well as leadership. So there's, you know, my position in a couple other counties around the state, and their Board of County Commissioners, their Tourism Development Council doesn't give them the same amount of support. So they just aren't able to accomplish what we've been able to accomplish here in Destin Fort Walton. So honestly, 100% of the the support that's coming from the community and the and leadership is is really why we've been so successful here. When you came in, um, I know there's been a few huge projects that have been done since you've been here. So I mm-hmm. think when you got here, kind of the fads were in the works. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, what, were there any like big ships being deployed at that time? Or? So when I came on board, the artificial reef program was pretty stagnant. There were some private artificial reefs going out, not a lot of tracking going on. The public artificial reef game was pretty weak. Um, there was a grant applied for here and there. Um, there was a bunch of grant money sitting in a, a coffer that hadn't been spent yet. So it took a little while to get things spun up. Um, so came on board. Our permits didn't actually allow for vessel deployments. Those expired 15, 20 years ago. So it took a couple of years to get those permits to allow vessels. And since then, we've been going pretty crazy with those. The FAD, uh, let me touch on FADs for a second. I showed up four years into the permitting process. Um, so this was all the fleet and Captain Kelly Wine's brainchild. Um, and the regulatory agencies, when it was first presented to them, they said, there's no way this is going to get permitted. But it did. And we were able to, to get it to the finish line with the deployment of eight FADs. Um, they've been wildly successful for both the recreational side of things as well as the four higher um, uh, fishing fleet. But not only in Destin, Fort Walton Beach, but people in Panama City, people in Orange Beach, Pensacola, even Louisiana are going out there to target these fish. And to be honest, if you go out to the FADs, you're always going to catch something. It may not be a 800-pound blue marlin every time, but there's pretty much always going to be mahi-mahi. There's always going to be cookie-cutter blackfin tuna. And then if you're lucky and you maybe know what you're doing, you can catch some of those other uh Uh, pelagic species of fish but going back to artificial reefs back in the 80s and 90s we were really active we had a a a lot looser regulations and um you know a a community and some people in positions that uh, really pushed for artificial reefs but again that sort of died um but with the the renewed i guess interest in artificial reefs and having some folks behind the wheel that you know, really push for that. Uh, we now have a pretty robust annual budget and a lot of grant funds coming in for that. And since 2019, when we had our first deployment, when I came on board, we've done hundreds of deployments from small modules to big piles of secondary use concrete to 200 foot vessels and, and even the fads. So I don't think there's any any uh, end in sight, which is a good thing. Um, so as, as long as we keep bringing cool projects and everyone keeps liking them and supporting them, I think I think there's there's some really cool, exciting things on the horizon. There's one in particular I won't talk about yet. Oh. There's, there's one that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna rival the Oriskany, which is the largest artificial reef in the world. I was wondering so, if I figured you probably had your feelings. Yeah. Out or oh, we, I've been I've been saying I wanted to carry or something really big for a long time, and we've made a lot of really awesome connections in the marine industry and. Fingers crossed some of the things that are coming down the pipes do make their way here to Destin Fort Walton, but time will tell. I hope so. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. Looking at, I guess there's a lot of stuff that y'all have on the more immediate agenda. 
Yeah. So in the last two months, we deployed two 200 footers, which are our second and third largest artificial reefs. Those are big ones. Uh, they used to be research vessels out of Louisiana that were part of the oil industry, oil exploration. Um, really cool for divers, but they're going to be great for all the amberjack fishermen out there and all the pelagic fishermen because they're right on the edge of uh, um, right on the edge of, of where the, the uh, water really starts to drop off. So bringing a lot of those fish. Um, but we also have some shallow water wrecks, which we haven't had a shallow water wreck or inside state waters within nine miles of shore since 1999. So it's been a really, really long time since we've deployed a vessel in shallow. Uh, and we have two that are going to be going down during the next good weather window. They're actually sitting in Santa Rosa Sound right now, just waiting for that window. Um, these actually are supply vessels from Texas that got brought over here um, after being cleaned and they're ready to go. Um, they'll be great for divers, but those state water boats that are looking for some of those large structures like the you know the liberty ship or brown's barge barrel barge um these will just be something new that they can start watching start to produce fish over the years some of the i was reading a few things where they were talking about some of the vessels that y'all are planning to deploy mm -hmm. could be candidates for like state or federal mm -hmm. waters what's the difference in yeah it all comes down to permitting so when you get permits it goes through a very very strict regulatory process i mean everybody and their mother seems to review this to make sure it's not going to impact whatever species of concern they're in charge of but i think when it comes to vessels the the biggest restriction is uh the water depth that it can go in so you can't take a vessel that's 60 feet tall and put it in 60 feet of water and it becomes a navigation hazard it's just it's it's not good so in general the general rule of thumb is you're going to deploy a vessel in uh, water depth that's half or that's twice as deep as it is tall so if it's a 30 foot vessel it needs to go in at least 60 feet of water with these large supply vessels for their size 110 and 125 feet long they really aren't that tall, so they'll be able to go in shallower waters, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's something a little bit different than a barge. Well, a barge is fine for fishermen. It's not so fun for, for the divers in the group. <laughs> it's kind of boring. I was watching the video on uh, one of the recent uh, deployments that y'all did, and, and you mentioned that for a second y'all thought that it maybe landed upside down. Oh, man, yeah. So <laughs> we've done nine vessel deployments since uh, 2020, so we've been stacking them in there uh every single one has landed upright and how it's supposed to land which is awesome knock on wood. yeah no knock on wood <laughs> a lot of the time i mean you can do as much as as much as you can to try and prevent that cut a bunch of holes to make sure the water flows freely and prevents air from becoming entrapped in the uh, under the decks and flipping it upside down um but sometimes there's things outside of your control current wind whatever other forces and when the uh, research vessel manta went down in january the current was blowing as as hard as it ever has in Destin. Um, it was really hard to actually swim against it, but when the vessel was going down, it started to turn it on its side, and it looked like it was, when it when it left the water surface, it looked like that was going to go upside down. But when we did the dive and got down there, it was laying exactly as it was supposed to. So I don't know what happened from when it left the water surface to landing on the bottom, but we got, we got real lucky. <laughs> so do y'all while you're out there you dive that day and go down absolutely there and look at it. yeah so we a lot of times we maybe strap statues or other instruments on the vessel itself and we need to recover all the straps and all the other stuff that's not going to remain on the vessel we also need to check what the relief is to make sure we're in permit compliance and check the orientation and get all that data that the fishermen and the divers really want to know um I think the a lot of times the first question people ask is where it's located. Uh, once we get back into cell phone range, I don't. I'll tell you right now, there's going to be no fish on that 
vessel for some time, but you go out a week later and there's people fishing that site. So I wish them luck, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely something you got to give it some time for fish to show up. How often when you deploy these, how often do you like to go back and dive and check them? You know, the, the regulatory agencies, they want us to go out there yearly, but with how many vessels that we're deploying right now, it's, it's pretty hard to accomplish all of our goals and also dive all these reefs that we've been deploying. Um, I like to try and get out there once a year uh, just to see how things are going. And there's some new technology out there that we're going to start to use to monitor degrade, degradation of these reefs over time. So how they start to break down from corrosion, rust, and all that other stuff. Because some of those vessels that have been out there since the 70s, they don't have the wheelhouse anymore. They're missing a lot of their superstructure, which essentially they're just a glorified barge now. Um, so the more that we can get out there, the more we can learn about how long these things last and better, I guess, educate us on how to deploy these things in the future. And also it's a day of diving, so I can't, can't say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> What's kind of the, usually the, the process, the timeline of what you see starting to show up when? I realize it yeah, kind of depends yeah, of where course, it is. Of too. course. I mean, you, you deploy a vessel and it, there will be fish there the next day or hours later if there happens to be something swimming by. Usually you're pelagic, so if there's some barracuda, king mackerel, amberjack, those sort of things are going to show up quick. Um, urchins are actually one of the first things to show up on a wreck, and I don't know why. Um, maybe they like to get on there and start eating a little bit of algae and fuzz that forms first, but usually you go down there a month or two later and it's like a pincushion. There's urchins all over the place. Um, but as time goes on, you start to get more of those encrusting organisms, barnacles, small pieces of sponge and coral-ish species. Uh, and then you get the little fish that like to hang out and eat that. And then you get the bigger fish and the bigger fish and the bigger fish. But usually it takes a year or two before you can really start going there and consistently seeing the fish that you want to see there as a fisherman or a spear fisherman. Um, the tropicals show up pretty quick. So all those people who like to take video and photos of the pretty tropicals that we have, they're, they're there pretty quick too. So the good news is we have lots of reefs out there. So if you go once and it's it's not a, a cool dive or it's not fishing real real well, you can move a mile away and find something else. Don't give up. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> There's going to be fish somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting talking to some of the people who've been deploying reefs, some of the guys that have been around for a long time. Yeah. They'll be like, you know, this year, I, there was one year that I deployed a, a string of cages or whatever, and six months later, it was just full or yeah. you know then there's some strings that they're like oh it was seven years before yeah. i ever saw anything yeah. on it yeah and you know talking to some of the captains i mean they all have their theory on where to deploy how deep how many it, they all have their theories and i mean it's working out for them and they've been deploying this stuff for 10 20 30 years in some cases so they know a heck of a lot more than i do i'm more of just trying to deploy this stuff within either constraints of the permits and whatever whoever is screaming the loudest as to as to where these things go right so um i did see that so the permit process for the fads took like what nine years oh gosh it was six or seven years from from starting like conception of the idea to getting all the fads in i think it was about nine year process the permitting took six seven years contracting took another year and then getting all the materials and everything and getting deployed was another year or so do they i mean this was i guess before the seymour mapping right so did they have to go out there and map yeah so honestly the biggest roadblock when it came to the fads uh permitting was a species of whale called a rice whale at the time they were called brutus whale but there's like 60 of them in the gulf of mexico and their essential habitat is pretty much the entire deeper portion of the eastern gulf of mexico from like 300 to 3,000 feet of water these fads are in 1500 to 2400 feet of water so it's right in the middle of all that so we had to consult with a lot of people but um 
We also had to take into consideration deepwater coral. We had to take into consideration marine traffic. There were a lot of things that we had to consider and from where we originally wanted to place the fads to where we actually placed the fads, those are two very different locations. All the fads we were hoping to deploy pretty much due south of Destin, but they're a little bit more to the southwest to where the closest fad is actually closer to Pensacola Pass than it is Destin. It's only about a two mile difference, but that's just, that's just how it worked. While the majority of the fads are still closer to Destin, the closest one still is Pensacola. Um, but yeah, those fads have, have produced some fish over the years. That's for sure. Well, yeah, we've mm. had some fun. At yeah, it. absolutely. And I do have, I mean, you were talking about people from different areas on mm. the Gulf Coast enjoying them. It, it goes beyond that. I have people call to book trips who call and say, I want to go to the fads. See, and that's, that's what we want to hear. Um, I didn't really talk about it, but my position, Coastal Resource Manager, isn't an environmental department or anything like that. I actually fall within the tourism development department. So everything that we do, we have to be able to tie back to tourism. So when we deploy artificial reefs and we hear about tourists coming and wanting to dive those or wanting to fish those, or in this case, the fads, that's awesome information for us to have because that justifies what we did. And it allows us to hang our hat on, hey, we're actually creating a tourism product while we're also benefiting the local community hugely. We're still creating a, a tourism product that's very different or really one of a kind compared to anywhere else. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. been awesome. I've heard rumors about could there be more fads yeah so about a month ago captain kelly wines came into the commission and uh, requested that we explore the option of deploying uh, four more fads two more off to the east and two more off to the west at about 40 miles as opposed to 60 to 80 miles a little bit closer for those boats that don't want to do a whole day trip or uh you know those boats that maybe are a little bit smaller um Again, we're going to be faced with a lot of those challenges that we were faced with early on, but I'm hoping that the permitting process may go quicker just because we've done it before and we can prove that the impacts of the whales really were non-existent. Um, the impact to the other species of concern and navigation, all that stuff really wasn't an issue. Um, I will say we've had problems with the fads breaking loose. Um, believe it or not, this last weekend, we actually lost two fads. I know this is timely, timely podcast. <laughs> podcast. So, you know... This is something that's never been done here. It's been done overseas in Japan a lot. So the fads that we purchased, we purchased four buoys, essentially, that were navigation buoys that they use all over the place. And we purchased four buoys that are used as fads out in Japan. We used a mooring system that was consistent with each of those entities. Um, and the ones that are lasting are the ones that were made in Japan. So the ones that are uh, manufactured in Louisiana seem to be corroding or chafing or something seems to be happening and the, they keep breaking at the shackle every single time so three of the four of those yellow or louisiana buoys have actually broken loose um so right now we're missing two of the eight we've re redeployed the others but we're missing two of the eight we're going to go ahead and assess how to try and fix this problem and hopefully get them out before the season really gets going oh wow i know i know so it stinks it's a real bummer because it's not cheap to go get them and oh. it's certainly not cheap to buy the the you know the mile of line that we use to to put these things out there and the thirty thousand pound piece of concrete for the anchor it's significant. It will be an educational thing though for if you deploy fads in the future. Exactly, exactly, and it's it's a learning curve. I, Kelly Wines was in my office this morning. We were talking about some private artificial reefs, and I broke the news to him, and he's like, "Well." We're the first ones to do it. We're figuring it out. I'm like, you're right. That's totally the case. And and honestly, our leadership is totally okay with, with you know, not necessarily it being considered an experiment, but us learning along the way and getting these things back out there and, and for people to enjoy. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I know. I know. So, you know, I'll, I'll keep everybody updated. And honestly, this is the first time I've really talked about it outside the office. So well, thanks there for you sharing. go. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, talking about the area where mm-hmm. you're deploying them mm-hmm. and, and deciding where to put them. So we have it in Oklahoma County. There's three LARS mm-hmm. boxes, which Correct. is a large area artificial, right? Reef large site. area artificial reef site. Okay. Yeah. So the LARS A, B, and C. Right. So mm-hmm. there's three boxes where we're allowed to deploy yep. artificial reefs. Yep. How do they go about defining those areas? So that was actually back in like the mid 1990s. Um, so those permits were created just to basically encompass the majority of federal waters offshore, Destin, Fort Walton Beach. And we actually extend almost to the Escambia line and almost to the Bay County line. So we're hogging a lot of that federal <laughs> water out there, which isn't a bad thing. I think it's like 160 square miles of permitted area. And when you, when you, are creating a permit area or or requesting a permit to do this artificial reef work, you have to do a lot of survey work. You got to, again, similar process to the fads, but making sure that, you know, there's not an excess of natural bottom in these permitted areas. There's not historical resources like a Spanish galleon or something out there. And I I say this every time I talk about those, if I ever find a Spanish galleon or something that's loaded with gold, the historical resource people will not hear about it. And I probably (laughs) will not be working here anymore. I don't know where I'll be, but I'll have my gold and I'll be, I'll be gone. Uh, but it is a lengthy process, um, and you really have to make sure that you're checking all the boxes for all the material that you want to deploy. Because like I was saying earlier, those permanent areas didn't allow for vessels until about two years ago. So from 1996 until two years ago, we weren't able to do any vessel deployments out in federal waters. There were some that were permitted individually, but that's a, that's a different process. Um, we are the only county or only entity in the state of Florida that allows private artificial reef deployments. So in those large areas... We can designate an individual a, a I guess, a, a designee um, for artificial reef deployment. So when we do private artificial reef stuff, people say, hey, we got a bunch of chicken coops that we need to deploy or want to deploy. We go out there and look at them and make sure that there's no plastic fiberglass or anything that's harmful left on them. And we actually issue a permit to that individual to bring that material offshore and deploy it. The only catch is when they come back, they need to let us know where it is. Now, we don't do anything with that data. The, the, the only reason we collect that data is to ensure that the material was deployed within the permitted area. And I think everybody has a pretty good understanding of how this process works. And if anyone has any uh, questions, I'm happy to, happy to answer them. Just reach out and we, we can get you permitted. But there's dozens of entities. I mean, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of reefs that are being deployed privately each year, which is incredible. I mean, we can do a dozen public artificial reefs but at the end of the day a lot of the charter captains aren't necessarily fishing the public artificial reefs for their snapper and their grouper they're fishing their chicken cages they're fishing their culverts their little structures that they made in the garage to be honest there's some pretty creative stuff that gets uh deployed out there i mean it's you know people who have the the talent of being able to weld stuff together it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah no there is there's all kinds of stuff out there and it's it's interesting too that not all states even can dump right is that correct yeah so it's um so florida is a little bit different because of how huge it is so florida doesn't actually have any permits for artificial reef deployments it all relies on local governments whether it be a county or city in our case it's okaloosa county that holds all the permits for artificial reef work um over in alabama the state of alabama holds all the permits for their work but that's because they have a coastline that's equivalent to you know two counties here in florida um but, uh, you know, there's a lot of counties that don't have permitted areas um, or have permitted areas that they don't really utilize. You look at Pinellas County, where Clearwater and Tampa are, are, they used to be probably the most active artificial reef 
county in the state, but they haven't done a deployment in a really, really long time. And they have permits that are just sitting there not being used, but they don't have the support like I was talking about earlier, and they don't have the, the drive to really get artificial reefs going down there. So really anywhere could develop a program get these areas get the reefs out there it's just a matter of doing the work yeah it's a matter of doing the work and once you get spun up it may take a couple years but once you get spun up and you get kind of a conveyor belt going it's on i mean you know we have things that we're planning two years in advance three years in advance and they're just slow to progress it's the the fast pace of government in a lot of cases um, but also identifying the funding and getting the you know the wreck clean or the concrete poured for those structures whatever it may be um, I, I was reading something that are y'all working on some bay deployment? Yeah. So, yeah. man, it, I keep referencing permitting. Permitting is well, the I mean, bane a- of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so much paperwork and a lot of hurry up and wait. So we've had a couple uh, deployments in the bay back in the 80s or 70s that were mostly associated with research. And also I found all sorts of weird stuff in the bay from, you know, probably the, the old timers putting old cars and washing machines and all sorts of stuff out there back when we were able to do that. But we're trying to create a mechanism for us to actually legally deploy a number of public artificial reefs within the bay, which would be very, very cool because people are always screaming about trying to have places to go fishing or even diving in the bay when the Gulf may be raging or they don't have a boat that they feel comfortable going out into the gulf of mexico on so while we aren't going to be able to deploy any wrecks or anything like that in the bay it'll mostly be those concrete structures they'll still make fish it'll be a great place to go fishing but that's probably two or three years out that permitting process is going to be extensive because we have a number of endangered species in the bay or that utilize the bay at some point in their life cycle so we got to make sure that we aren't hurting them and if we did that it would be the only is it would it be the only bay in the state of florida are there any bays that Um, do that so tampa bay Tampa Bay has quite a few. Um, I think Charlotte Harbor may have some, and then maybe up in Jacksonville may have some, but I think what we're aiming to do is permit a lot of area and do a lot of artificial reef deployments. Because again, if you only have one spot in the bay, there's going to be a lot of people that are getting really pissed off at each other because they're all trying to go and fish the same spot and it just, it makes for a really bad experience. So the more spots that you have, it really spreads out that effort and keeps everybody happier. It gives them a better, you know, fishing fun. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. Well, y'all have a lot of plans. There's, um, was there a, a five-year plan that was approved last year yeah last year so in february 2022 we put together a a five-year plan on you know how we would like to spend x amount of dollars over those five years and the first year included the manta and the dolphin which we just deployed uh in january march um it also included some partnerships with destin high school um starboro wine a bunch of other private entities so we go and we lecture my team and i go and lecture at destin high school and a number of high schools around the county about coastal resources, about artificial reefs. And the fishing class at Destin High School was interested in getting involved. And we talked with Captain Mike Parker and uh, and the class, and it seemed like they wanted to get involved in making artificial reefs. So we kind of put a challenge on the table that if they were able to raise funds for artificial reefs, we would match those funds to create the inaugural Destin High School reef. They had a fundraiser here locally and raised $10,000. We matched that $10,000, actually more than that, and we're going to create a uh, a, an artificial reef that they're going to build upon each semester. And I don't know any other school in the United States that's doing something no, like that, amazing. which is awesome. And I really hope that these kids end up going and fishing it 10 years down the road or whatever it is, whenever they come home to visit or come back for high school unions, or maybe they go into the fishing world and they fish that with their clients uh, and can talk about, Hey, you know, we made this 10 years ago. Um, really cool opportunity. I hope that grows. Um, 
you know, again, the, the community really rallied behind them to, to make that happen. But we actually have groups from all over the country reaching out to us trying to uh, create artificial reefs to help uh, restore the marine environment. Uh, while we, a lot of people think that we have a lot of coral here, that's not the case. We don't have any coral, no true coral like you would have down in the Keys or down in uh, the Caribbean. We rely on artificial reefs for reef habitat, really. We have some natural reefs, but nothing like over to the, over to the east or even to the, over to the west for that matter. So when people come and want to restore the marine environment, we encourage them to partner with us on artificial reef deployments because we've got that down and uh, uh, the, the artificial reefs and especially the prefabricated modules, these structures that we make out of concrete and slap a bunch of limestone and, and, and whatnot in them, those have proved to be extremely effective at creating habitat um, in all depths of water. So you got your chicken coops and you got your shipwrecks, but these prefabricated modules that are specifically designed to be or mimic a natural reef is, is I think, the most effective at creating fish. You've got quite the the ship to deploy them too, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wish it was mine. Um, <laughs> gosh, yeah. What's, that's, the st- what's the story behind? Yeah. That? So there's a there's a you know every single one of these projects we have to go out competitively because we're using public dollars. Um, but there is one entity based out of Orange Beach that we partner with a lot, especially with these prefabricated modules called Walter Marine or Reef Maker. They've been in the game for 30 plus years and have come up with a lot of different, they were, they were one of the groups that deployed the cars and the toilets and all sorts of stuff back in the day. But they've learned along with all of us what the best material is and have gotten pretty damn good at, at and innovative with creating these, these prefabricated modules. It's actually a large supply vessel or x supply vessel they strapped a big old crane to and that's what they use to deploy all their artificial reefs now um they can put i think a hundred of these eight foot concrete structures on it come over deploy head back home reload and go to another entity so they pretty much service everywhere from texas to tampa if they were to be the ones uh, interested in deploying artificial reefs but we've kept them pretty busy here in oklahoma county over the last few years and they've uh they've been great they were actually the ones who did the the dolphin and the manta deployment the last two months um you know i think they've done 30 plus deployment vessel deployment so they know what they're doing there and uh they have a perfect record as well, so they've never deployed a, a vessel on its side or upside down. Oh, so they were stressing a little bit with the, with the Manta. But again, knock on wood, that's about as close as we're going to get to flipping something upside down. I don't want you to break their record. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not jinxing them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. We get to meet a lot of really cool people, and we're getting a lot of attention from around the United States, around the state of Florida, and around the world for that matter. Um, you know, there's people wanting to come here and even do research around these artificial reefs and around the fads. So we've partnered with Texas A&M and LSU to actually attach a bunch of acoustic data loggers to the fads. And these are little devices that listen for fish that have been tagged. So people may be in the Northeast that have tagged a bunch of great white sharks or a big uh, giant bluefin tuna. If they make their way into the Gulf of Mexico and swim near one of the fads, these devices listen for that tag and record it. We go out and we download those those recordings and see whose animal it was. And those fads, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of great white sharks that go near those fads. I think we've detected nine different individuals. And those aren't the ones that have the satellite tags. These are ones that they don't have to break the surface. They just happen to swim by the fads. Oh, my goodness. We've detected a number of giant bluefin tuna. One was an 800-pounder that was uh, tagged back in 2018, and we detected it in 2022. So four more years after it was estimated 800 pounds, that's an absolute monster. But the Gulf, it makes sense though. The Gulf of Mexico is a spawning ground for bluefin tuna. So they come into the, the Gulf of Mexico every year and spawn. So it was probably a big old female coming in here to spawn. Um, 
Uh, what else have we detected? Lots of turtles, lots of uh, leatherback turtles. There's actually one leatherback that ended up appearing on fad number eight. A day later, it was at fad number seven. A day later, it was at fad number six, and then fad number five. So it went to all of the eastern fads, and then we, did, we haven't heard from it since. But there's, I don't know what it's doing there. I think maybe it's just come by to see what it is because I don't think they really eat anything that's associated with the fad. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's cool. I mean, a lot of these, you know, coming from a science background, it's awesome to be able to partner with research entities to kind of keep current in the research game. Because right now I'm kind of caught up with the, the tourism and, you know, construction game, not necessarily the research the game. Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh, <laughs> the paperwork game. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it's fun to be able to work with them and support them. Because I, when I was in the research world, it was always really hard to find partners or partners that actually had money to be able to do this kind of stuff. But the more we can learn about these resources that we're, we're deploying and, and creating, the, the better. Right. They you can know. serve dual purposes. Like it, it's, good for research it's yep. good for fishing it's oh, yeah. some of them you know good for diving not fads yep. but are there any places in the state of florida or in the gulf coast that have reached out to y'all trying to figure out how you did the fad man i probably get at least a call a month from someone who's in a similar position for a different county and what i tell them is get ready and buckle up for the long haul because it's going to take a long time um that's in the state of florida but over in texas i will say they reached out they wanted to do some fads and i said hey get ready it's going to take a long time they got permits within six months. Go figure. So that, that whale that I was referring to, it doesn't technically cross the Mississippi River. So over in the Western Gulf of Mexico, there's no essential habitat for this rice whale. I, I don't know if I believe it, but whatever it may be, but they got their permits in six months and it looks like they're gonna be deploying some fads over the next year, which is really, really exciting. So we've kind of paved the way and, and started this fad, if you will, of, of deploying fad, these, fad? yeah, fad fad, <laughs> of deploying these fads. I haven't said that before. <laughs> I was wondering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the next greatest, best thing is going to be in the artificial reef world, but um, it, it is exciting. I guess one partnership that I haven't really touched on is the one with the military. So, in the past, there's a lot, or actually, even currently, there's a lot of uh, munitions testing that happens at Eglin Air Force Base and Herbert Field. And in the past, they've bring they would bring targets out into the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. Wouldn't really necessarily clean them. I can't confirm or deny that, but they weren't necessarily prepared in a way that would be suitable for the environment. They'd blow them up with their ordnance, and then that vessel would never be heard from again. They've since seen the value in doing these tests a little bit closer to shore, to where the byproduct is an artificial reef. Now, Eglin Air Force Base and the military is not in the business of making artificial reefs. They're out there to complete a mission, develop new weapons to keep our country safe. Um, but if they can do something that is beneficial to the environment, they clean it the right way, it's not gonna hurt the environment, and it's a, a recreational destination for divers and fishermen, why not? So we partnered with them on the first wreck back in October called the Courageous, and this is a vessel they blew in half out in 130 feet of water. It's a 200 and right at about 200 feet long, and it is an amazing wreck. It is really, really cool. And because of how successful that was, we're looking at doing some additional vessels. Uh, I can't really provide any timelines or too many details because I'm kind of kept in the dark on a lot of that. But at the end of the day, we work closely with them to make sure that they're checking all the boxes for making sure this is an allowable structure once they're done with it as a as a test 
Um, so we get some really cool free reefs that we really don't have to coordinate too much on except for just doing some basic inspections and some support afterwards. But that is very, a really yeah, it's really really cool beneficial relationship. Very much sure. so, very much so, and we want to keep that here. Yeah, <laughs> for definitely. Sure. Yeah, there's even some wasn't the. Uh, I realize things have changed a yeah, lot over of the course. years, but the the Ozark. Yep, the Ozark that, was a that was that actually was a, <laughs> one that they weren't trying to sink. They just hit it in the right spot and it sunk. They were using uh, duds and it just poked a hole in the right spot. They came out the next day and it was on the bottom. So there's the Ozark. There's the Tully. There's Oh gosh, there's a few others that are out in Larcy that we've stumbled across over the years, but that was before there was really any sort of emphasis on cleaning these things to be environmentally friendly. So there's a lot of rubber and plastic and other things still on them, which again, that was the practice back in the day. So you can't really fault them, but fortunately they've seen the light and understand that they can do things a little bit better and work with public entities to, to make that happen. It seems like you also, are there some relationships with neighboring counties? Yeah, man, gosh, I keep forgetting about stuff. I'm glad you're <laughs> glad you're remembering these. So, you know, there's, there's neighboring counties who maybe don't have the same sort of support or are very interested in doing this, but don't have the permits to be able to do it. Um, recently, we've started a relationship with Walton County and Bay County to work on a medium-sized wreck, 240 foot long, that we're going to deploy halfway between Okaloosa County and halfway Bay County. So it'll be due south of Walton County, but equal distance from Santa Rosa or uh, St. Andrews Pass and uh, Destin's East Pass. I think it's about 22 miles or something like that. This will hopefully, fingers crossed, pave the way for a vessel that I was referencing earlier that could potentially be very, very large because there's some grant opportunities out there that if you can show regional connectivity, you're eligible for those grants. So this this project that we're working on, the relationship between Walton County and Bay County will open that door for us to get money for something really big. So it's just planning and getting getting the pieces in line for, for the big projects. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So they have a, a coastal resource group in each of these counties too. Ish, yeah. So the... Um, Walton County has a position that falls within public works and um, they, they do some artificial reef work, but they are mostly focused on a lot of estuary work and a lot of uh, uh, freshwater work. Um, over in Bay County, they have a Sea Grant agent, which is associated with the University of Florida. Um, and they also have a coastal resource coordinator that's also associated with the University of Florida that recently came on and they're trying to get spun up. But they are maybe about five years behind us as far as getting things up and going again, because they're faced with very similar issues as when I came on board is permits were expired, permits didn't allow for vessels, they didn't have any money, they didn't really have any support, but they're getting that support and they're starting to, to build their program, which will be really cool because at the end of the day, you know, our charter boats, our recreational boats don't really know boundaries. They're just going to a wreck, whether it was Walton County, Bay County, Escambia County, or Okaloosa County deploying it, they don't care. They just want to go dive or fish it. So the more stuff that we can have out there, it's better for the boats and the, the users, but it's also great for the fish too, because it spreads out that effort. That's exciting. It I'm is. anxious to see. I know. That, I know. That, yeah. That. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to give it all out because I don't, I don't want to jinx it, <laughs> like flipping things upside down. So do these, these lines, I mean, do they just go due south of the county lines for our boxes? Or um, so the, again, those large, those large area sites, um, we have two square ones that are kind of due south of the Walton County, Okaloosa County border, but they encroach well into Walton County. And over on to the west, we have Large Sea, which pretty much goes from due south of Fort Walton Beach all the way over to, you know, past Navarre. I mean, it's a long rectangle box and we encompass everything from 
80 foot all the way out to 360 foot. But then we also have a bunch of like one mile boxes that are in state waters that we can do shallower water stuff. We just weren't allowed to permit the entire state waters. I think that was a, a thing that they did back in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, even if we're kind of encroaching on their line, it's beneficial to them oh, if we're yeah. dumping and in that area. And there's nothing to say that these other counties couldn't use our permits if they wanted to. Um, but at the end of the day, Santa Rosa County, which is in between Escambia and Okaloosa, and Walton, which is between us and Bay, they don't have an inlet. So they're having to use our inlet or the, the in the other direction, their inlet, to get out to these Gulf waters. Um, so they're using and fishing a lot of the stuff that we're deploying, or at least their residents are. So they're, they're benefiting hugely and have no problem with us already having permits in place for them if they wish to deploy some stuff out in those areas. Okay. So most of the, most of the stuff that you're deploying, though, it's at a depth where it could be fished or or dive. Yes. So while we're getting spun up, we're wanting to try and and really maximize the users that are able to access these, whether it be divers or fishermen. Um, also, that five year plan that we referenced earlier, that's really targeting making our destination a dive destination. While all of the things that we're deploying are outstanding for fishing. It's not so good for diving when it's in 300 feet of water. <laughs> There's very few people who can dive those things. Um, but as time goes on, we actually just got a $1.3 million grant where those structures are going to be deployed out to 350, 360 feet of water. So we're going to do some really deep stuff, but also some shallow stuff by keeping the shallow water folks happy with some of the wrecks that we're going to be deploying. It's a balance. I mean, we have the permits that we have to deal with. We got the funding we have to deal with. And then we have the people that are screaming on social media about why we don't do stuff in the bay. Why are we not deploying stuff further out? Why are we doing it too close? Whatever it may be. There's always someone who's going to complain. And if we keep getting money and keep getting projects in the water, it at least keeps everybody Eventually. Happy. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> exactly. But even so, like someone may have, you know, someone may have just gotten a, a wreck out in 130 feet of water. They're loving it. We do a project in 60 feet of water. They're pissed again. It's again, it's the nature of the beast. And, you know, you just got to let it let it roll. But, yeah, you're always going to be dealing with those issues. <laughs> What's some of the interesting stuff you've you've seen when diving these places? Oh, gosh. Um, the I, You know what? I haven't seen a great white shark yet. No? Um, I have plenty of people that are in the area that have seen them, and I haven't. I mean, I've seen every species of pelagic fish underwater, um, you know, all your lobsters and stuff that are that are something that us divers really like to come home with that fishermen really don't get to see too often. Um, I mean, we have, we have visibility and diving here that rivals really anywhere else in the United States. And people love going to the Keys to go dive, and people love going to the Caribbean to go dive. And in the Keys, most of that coral is dead, so you're diving coral skeletons um so really their their artificial reef work is going to start to to bump up or a lot of their coral restoration is going to have to to bump up but if someone's trying to travel to a destination to go dive in i i couldn't think of a better place than coming here um i keep going back to diving that's 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 my love that's really right. what got me into this and fishing is kind of a byproduct i don't really fish shallow i like going places to go fishing to where i can't dive it because if I can't dive it, then I can't go and spearfish the fish that I want to go after or whatever it may be. If it's um, shallow enough, you're jumping in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, go <laughs> I'm going to get them because, man, when you when you pull up on a spot and you know there's fish there and you see the screen and they aren't biting, that is the most frustrating thing in the world. When you're spearfishing, they don't have to be biting. So some people think it's cheating, but I encourage everyone to slap a tank on their back and go down there and try and shoot some of those <laughs> fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. It sounds like, too, here there are a lot of options as far as diving goes. Mm -hmm. It's not just a couple things, but yeah. you have deployed so much and you're still doing it. exactly exactly again i mean you look at some destinations look in the keys for example there's only a dozen total artificial reefs 
across that entire span of the keys. So there's all these people that are wanting to go wreck diving down on the keys and they're all cramming in on one wreck to go diving. Here, if you pull up and there's someone on a wreck, you go a mile in another direction, there's another wreck for you to dive. Your so own there's always wreck. something. Exactly. Yeah, it could be. Exactly. Your own personal wreck. Exactly. So, you know, we allow that too. If someone has a boat they want to get rid of, we will, you know, enable them to sink it. Um, but, I mean, again, we have some really exciting things going and, you know, I really, really hope it continues this direction. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, another thing that's we've touched some on but is extremely beneficial aside from y'all's program is, you know, we deploy chicken coops. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the fishermen do and everything. And so f- do you mind talking a little bit about the, the process for yeah. y'all inspecting them and what yep. all has to be done? Yeah, I touched on it, but, man, it is super easy. When, when someone wants to deploy something, whether it be a chicken cage or something that they made themselves, it has to meet some very general criteria. It actually has to be metal. It has to be concrete. Those are the two two allowable materials. Um, chicken coops, check that box real easy. Old culverts, check that box. Um, but once you have something, you reach out to us. We send you a five-page application packet. The first page is really the only thing that we need from you. And what that is is basically your contact information, what material you have that you want to have inspected and, and to deploy, and then um, where you want to put it. Um, there's a couple other criteria on there, but it's it's nothing too crazy, and you can always reach out if you have questions. Um, once you send that in, we schedule a time to come out and look at it. You give us $25. <laughs> That's the permitting fee. Big money. It's huge. Big money. <laughs> I don't even know why we charge that, but $25. We go back, and we work directly with the regulatory agencies, so you don't have to because that's an absolute nightmare, as you've heard me say the permit word a whole bunch, um, but we've got it down. Um, once we've worked with the regulatory agencies, you have like a 14-day wait period where the regulatory agencies can come look at the material if they want to knock on wood that has never happened they again a chicken coop and working with us they assume that everything's good which is a good thing um you go out there you deploy the material fill out one page saying where you deployed it and uh that you did bottom surveys to make sure that you didn't drop it on top of that spanish galleon or that uh that natural bottom and then um yeah, that's it. And we, we file those numbers away, send the, the information to the regulatory agencies, and that's that. So it, it, re- it may sound difficult in that, you know, two sentences or two, two minute <laughs> summary, but it's super easy. It really is. So if you have questions, just reach out to me. It's a pretty streamlined mm-hmm. process. It is. Yeah, you've done it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is there anything else you can you can think of about the program you want to share? Oh, I mean, gosh. Um, I guess if you have any questions, you can go to the website, destinfwb.com. Um, you know, it, the website's ever-changing. We have a lot of really cool tools on there. We're doing a lot of really innovative stuff with mapping these, these vessels once they're on the bottom. Uh, for folks that maybe don't dive, they can go and look at them and get a closer look at what these are on the bottom. We actually mapped that vessel that the military blew in half, so it's a... That's a really cool one to look at because that's the first one we did with that technology and it's kind of paving the way for what we're doing um, uh, beyond, uh, you know, just the artificial reef work. How long ago was that one again? May 2022. Okay. So we're coming up on a year. Okay. I think. Or maybe it's two years. Something like that. Hadn't been down very long. (laughs) But it's it's already holding a bunch of fish. Uh, Dive boats go out there pretty often and they're removing lots of lionfish and they're saying there's a ton of alamaco on them right now, which again, those are the fish that you expect to show up because they're kind of transitory. So do you feel like... And you've obviously done a lot of work with lionfish, and uh-huh. I'm sure we could go way down. Oh, that's a whole another podcast. Might, that's I what think. I was going to say. We <laughs> might have to sit down, but do, do yeah. they show up pretty quickly? They do, and you know, 
lionfish are a species that they don't look like they're built for swimming long distances, but we'll deploy something and come back in a month and there's a bunch of large lionfish there. And there may not be a structure for, you know, a mile. So where did they come from? I, I don't know. I guess they did swim that distance and they are a little more suited to swimming long distances. But where we are, an artificial of a chicken coop used to have, in some cases, 300 plus lionfish on it, which just wasn't sustainable. Um, those lionfish would eat pretty much everything on the reef and they'd essentially start dying. So they'd have to move to go find something else to eat. So I think that maybe is what happened is what is happening is they're depleting a reef and they're having to move somewhere else. And then they find this big wreck and they decide to call it their home until a diver comes along and gets them. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions with lionfish still. Um, so a lot of people doing research on it, including our group. Um, but they show up pretty quick. Uh, so, and you can always count on them to, to, uh, you know, harvest if you're a diver and come home with, with dinner. We'll keep going out there and getting them for yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> We're never going to get rid of them, but at least it's something to get when everything else is closed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. I, I appreciate it. I, yeah. I've enjoyed talking to you, and I appreciate you sitting down and talking with yeah, me today. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is fun. If there's any other questions that anyone has that's listening, don't hesitate to reach out and uh, get us in touch. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reach out to Alex Fogg and to the county and um, check out the podcast on social media on on Facebook and Instagram. I'll try to get y'all's information on there yeah. too. And uh, maybe still some pictures and videos yeah, or share some totally. of y'all stuff so everybody totally. can see all these projects yeah. that you're doing. We've got a few uh, of those pictures and, and videos. Oh, yeah. That's a good thing there's about bunch, GoPros. Yeah. There's some really cool footage out <laughs> there is, of this whole is. process. Yep, totally, totally. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yep, thank you. It was some fun back in them days, I tell you. You always remember the beautiful light southeast winds. So I thought, well, I'll come back when the groupers run. You know, how can you uh, completely go over a lifetime in an hour? <laughs>